WBZ original. Uh, Paula yesterday tweeted out a little video that we do every day before the 5.30 news. And this guy, he writes underneath it and tags me on it. Paula, you absolutely, literally pop, P-O-P, all caps, when you start to speak. It is wonderful. Liam, you're a little bit pop-ish too, just not big, parentheses just saying. She pops somehow. So, so I wrote, there, Liam. So I wrote, <laughs> I, how am I going to pop in the way that you all know I can when I have bronchitis, laryngitis? I mean, some people would say I deserve a medal for being at work all these days. She liked the tweet. <laughs> of course. Paula liked the Someone tweet. Someone said I pop. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2020. This is the first New Year's episode of Studio BZ. Is it over BZ. yet, Paula? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. We've peaked. Um, <laughs> this is season four, episode 11. Welcome in. I'm Paula Eben. I'm John Keller. I'm Liam Martin. It's so nice to see you all yes. back here. Uh, you Don't lie. Nah, <laughs> Come on. Really. Well, it's, nice to, it's nice to see Paula, but not you so much, John. No. <laughs> right. uh, did you, you enjoy the my... holidays? I did. Good. You can tell my, my voice, I was going to say, is a little ragged. I apologize for that. It's, it's okay. It pops, various, Liam. Uh, it pops. <laughs> He's been partying. Uh, but it's getting better. A little it bit is. better. Yesterday was very pretty better. bad. It was pretty hoarse. Sounds very sultry. Yeah, you know. I'm thinking about maybe doing some voicemails for Kind of got a Lauren Bacall thing going that's on. That's right. Lauren Bacall. You know who that is, Liam? Uh, please tell me that's not a woman. Because now <laughs> well, I'm going to derail yeah. my entire show. It's a woman, yeah. Oh, that's not good. Who's a that's gravelly voiced leading man? Trying to think. Were they mostly? Who sort of has Vin that Vin Diesel? Vin Diesel. I mean, you know, when is, I think Liam, if, if there's someone I that people Diesel. would like in on the streets come up and they'll go, "You remind me of," I get Vin Diesel all <laughs> eight the times time. out of ten. Yeah, I don't know. I just think maybe more like a young Harrison Ford type. Wow, yes. oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I got the other day. I got uh, Killian Murphy. Yes, well, it's your cheekbones. I, I, I've never heard that <gasps> one before. No idea yep. who that is. He Peaky Blinders. Is in Peaky Blinders, and, uh, that Irish actor. He plays fantastic. the scarecrow in, okay, in Batman. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Listen, this is what we have up. It is time to really get serious about politics. We are, what, 27 days away from the Iowa caucuses, wow. about six weeks away from the New Hampshire primary. Yep. And John is kicking us off with a lot of political interviews. Yeah, I got a doubleheader for you this week. It's cr- It's go time, and we'll be talking with, first of all, Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, came in and sat down for a lengthy interview with us. Very interesting. And uh, also, on the Republican side, yes, there is a Republican challenger to Donald Trump, and his name is Bill Weld, the former Massachusetts governor, former libertarian vice presidential candidate. We talked with him recently as well. We'll have both those interviews for you. And then some tech talk. One of our favorite segments of the year. It it is the Consumer Electronics Show kicking (laughs) off in Las Vegas. And every year, there is a website, is it Quartz, that comes up with the dumbest tech the most outrageous. The, the dumbest new pieces yeah. of technology on the market. And last year, it was one of our favorite episodes. <laughs> so we're going to walk back down that path. And John Keller is going to tell us why technology ruins everything. It, you got it. Absolutely everything. And we promise not to say, OK, Boomer. No, I'm going segment. to say, OK, Boomer, a minimum of five times during that <laughs> segment. And, and Jonathan showed us a picture of Killian Murphy, by the way, John. Yes. Oh, it does look like Liam, doesn't it? 
A yeah, little. Look at those cheekbones. Kind of, a little bit. Yes. I'm not going to say what mm. I'm thinking. How's that? Well, John, you spoke with uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren. She had a big surge a few months ago, and a lot of people considered her a front runner for a time. Mm. She's kind of fallen off a little bit over the last few months. And just recently, she has sort of staked out a position on the new NAFTA that might separate her a bit from Senator Bernie Sanders. In fact, for the first time, she announced publicly her position. The Senate votes a little later on this month uh, in our interview. And it was a stark contrast with the position taken by Bernie Sanders. Of course, those two are locked in a something of a death struggle in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Only one of them is going to probably walk out of there uh, with a viable chance at the nomination. So it's crucial. And uh, NAFTA, NAFTA now the rewritten NAFTA is the USMCA, is a big issue in New Hampshire. That economy relies heavily on international trade. Uh, So listen for Mm -hmm. that to come up during our interview, which started off uh, with a question about the big breaking international story of the moment, uh, the uh, the assassination of the Ar- Iranian military leader in Iraq. Austin Hill, the glittering jewel city of the world. Senator, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Happy New Year, John. Ha- Happy New Year to you and yours as well. We appreciate you coming by. So before we get into the issues and the politics of the campaign, uh-huh. let's talk about the U.S. strike that uh-huh. killed the commander of the Ira- yep. Iranian military. Our government says he was behind the recent attack on our embassy in Baghdad and was planning further attacks on Americans. Now, you've already called this a, quote, reckless move that escalates the situation with Iran and increases the likelihood of more deaths and new Middle East conflict, end quote. If you were president now, how would you have handled this differently? Well, let's start with the fact that we never should have been in this position to begin with. Uh, This assassination of General Soleimani uh, is reckless, and it has been part of an escalating series of attacks that the Trump administration has put forward. And it has put our troops at risk. It has put our diplomats at risk. And they're already changing their story about the whole thing. But keep in mind where this started. We had a deal with Iran and our allies that Iran would not develop a nuclear weapon and that it had full inspections. Iran was abiding by the deal. When Donald Trump, all on his own, said, we're going to get out of that deal, very provocative, and has then taken just a series of escalating attacks, ending with this assassination. But before, during, and after the deal was cut on the nuclear, uh, uh, on the nuclear pact, uh, Iran and this general were engaging in uh, international acts of warfare, terrorism, uh, responsible for the murder of many hundreds of thousands in Syria. So I don't get the connection. Uh, oh, Iran has been a bad actor. There's no doubt about that. But the question is, how do you best deal with a bad actor? Is it easier to deal with a bad actor who doesn't have nuclear weapons or a bad actor who has nuclear weapons? We had worked with our allies, gotten Iran to the negotiating table, gotten them to stop their nuclear program, and they were abiding by that. Now, we could have built on that and said, now let's do more uh, diplomatic pressure and the series of, of uh, working with our allies, using our economic leverage to get Iran to stop other activities and stop supporting terrorism around the world. That's the direction we want to push this. Instead, 
Donald Trump pulls out of that. Now Iran has started its nuclear deal and he keeps escalating. That pulls us toward war. We've been at war in this region for nearly 20 years. We don't need 20 more years of war. That's not the direction we want. So if the president had come to Congress to ask for authorization for this, which he didn't, he didn't need to, would you have approved? Uh, no. Uh, look, this is not the approach we should be using. We should be working with our allies. Iran demonstrated that they were willing to negotiate over something as important as their nuclear program. But it took all of us working together. U.S. couldn't do this alone. It took working with our allies to make that happen. And then Donald Trump just walked away from the whole thing. And now the world is a far more dangerous place. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the economy. Yes. Uh, New Hampshire ranks fifth in the nation in income for a typical four-person middle-class family. Mm -hmm. The unemployment rate there is 2.6%, a full point below the national rate. Mm -hmm. So by these and other measures, Senator, times are pretty good in New Hampshire right now. But you insist the state and the nation needs, quote, bold structural economic change. What's your pitch to New Hampshire voters? who may recoil from that because the status quo isn't that bad for them. Well, I don't know. It kind of depends on who you talk to out there. So, for example, New Hampshire has one of the highest levels of student loan debt. Think about that. A generation ago, uh, I could go to college for $50 a semester. That's how I was able to finish my four-year degree and become a special education teacher. That's real opportunity. Opportunity you could pay for on a part-time waitressing job. Today, that opportunity is not available to our kids. Uh, state universities end up putting kids tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And the kind of debt that it takes 10, 20, 30 years to pay off. That has implications both individually. It means young people who can't start their own business, young people sometimes who can't move out of mom's house, young couples that are married and worried they can't start a family or buy a home because they've got so much student loan debt. And it holds back our economy. So look at it this way. GDP has gone up. You're absolutely right. The stock market has gone up. Um, but most of that new income growth is going to the top. In fact, since 1980, the new income growth in this country, four-tenths of one percent, that, that averages to zero, has gone to the 90 percent of America. We've got an economy that keeps doing great, but bigger and bigger squeeze on families. Well, but the middle class in New Hampshire is doing fairly well, according uh, to those statistics. Are, no, you, are, you, those, are those voters encouraged by you to find another candidate, the ones that don't have student loan debt? You know, I just don't see it that way, John, and that's sure not what I hear from people when I'm there. High student loan debt, young families that literally cannot afford childcare, so mamas who stop their education uh, or aren't able to take a job, again, bad for the economy, the cost of housing that is just through the roof, much higher than any increase in income. The cost of health care that is through the roof for families. Look at it this way, because it's been going on for over a generation now. Wages adjusted for inflation largely flat at the same time that the cost of housing, the cost of health care, the cost of child care, the cost of sending a kid off to college have all shot through the roof. Families, instead of being able to save money, 
are in debt. They're trying to take care of their parents who are seniors, trying to save for their kids and save for their own retirements. The middle class squeeze is real, John. All right. One other economic issue before we take a break here. The uh, U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Uh Uh-huh which uh, that's the new version of NAFTA. It Mm -hmm. passed the House with overwhelming Mm -hmm. bipartisan support. It has the endorsement of major labor unions, including the AFL-CIO. Will you vote for it when it comes before the Senate? Yes, I will. And I'll I'll tell you why. Um, This latest uh, round with, with Donald Trump over the past three years has just slammed our farmers They've lost markets, not just in the NAFTA countries, but around the world, and has really, really put them in a squeeze. Uh, Workers have had the legs taken out from underneath them. And this agreement makes improvements. It's going to help open up some markets for farmers. They need that stability. It's going to help with some enforceable labor standards, and that's going to be useful. But... As president, I look at this very differently. This shouldn't just be about getting us out of the box that Donald Trump put us in with his terrible trade wars. We really need trade negotiations going forward that bear down on climate change and make sure that anyone who wants access to our markets is actually help us in the fight against climate change and helping build an economy that works for everybody in the U.S. One quick follow on uh-huh. this. As Senator Bernie Sanders says he'll vote no. Mm-hmm. How does that illustrate the difference between you and him? Look, I want to see improvement for our farmers. And I want to see improvement for our workers. It's not as much improvement as I'd like to see. But right now, they're in a terrible hole where Donald Trump has put them. I want to help get them out of that hole. But I'm going to describe how I'll do trade going forward. And that is, going forward, we need to have higher trade standards. Anyone who wants access to the American market needs to be meeting climate change standards. Anyone who wants access needs to be meeting labor standards. That's what we need to do. And the contrast with Sanders is? Well... Bernie sees this differently, obviously. That's it? Well, Bernie, Bernie has said he's going to vote against it. You'll have to ask Bernie his reasons Okay. You've been an eager supporter of the proposed Green New Deal that I would mobilize the uh, Americans against what you call, quote, an urgent threat, climate change, while also energizing the U.S. economy. Now, you've also denounced, quoting again, the influence that big oil and carbon-based industries wield in Washington, mm-hmm. end quote, and you've made it clear you want to take them on. But historian Doris Kearns Goodwin from, Con- from Concord here mm-hmm. has noted in the past that President Roosevelt was finally able to jumpstart the economy in the 1940s only after he partnered with corporations making concessions and curbing antitrust enforcement in the so-called arsenal for democracy wartime industrial surge. Likewise, President Obama courted and won support from the pharmaceutical industry and healthcare insurers to get Obamacare through. Why is your confrontational approach preferable to the proven success of these past, more collaborative strategies? Well, uh, actually, I would never, never uh, have a disagreement with an historian, but I'd back up just a little bit on, uh, uh, on, on that description. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt enforced our antitrust laws and was very aggressive in enforcing them. And in fact, it was one of his biggest arguments in trying to get this country righted after the Great Depression. 
it was that giant corporations had gotten too big and were exercising too much power, both in our economy and in our democracy. But he backed off that once well, war broke out. He's, but, but he backs off after he has done enormous enforcement in this area, enforcement that had really died off for three decades before then. Look, look at the circumstances we're in right now. These giant corporations have swallowed up little businesses, medium-sized businesses. They've swallowed up what used to be big businesses. And the problem with that is it not only gives them economic power, it also gives them political power. It gives them power over their workers, power over their customers, power over the communities where they're located, and way too much power in Washington. Power to rewrite the tax laws, power to get exceptions in the regulatory laws. We have antitrust laws that have been out there for over a century, but we haven't had the courage to step up and enforce them for decades now. It's time to enforce those antitrust laws. And it's, it's ultimately, keep in mind, we have those antitrust laws so that we can have competitive markets and competitive economies. Can I give you a quick example of this? Please. Amazon. So we think of Amazon in terms of the delivery of coffee makers on our front porch, right? But there's something else that Amazon is doing. Amazon is running the platform where people sell coffee makers and people buy coffee makers. That's great. But it also is gathering information from the seller and the buyer of every one of those transactions. Then Amazon uses that special information that only Amazon has and decides, you know what, Mr. Coffee Maker Seller, I think that's profitable business. I'm going to move you down to page seven in the search, and I'm going to put the Amazon coffee maker seller right up front. That's an anti-competitive practice, and it ultimately is going to destroy competition in this country. So my view is you can run the platform or you can be a player but you don't get to do both. It's like in baseball, right? You can, you can be an umpire in the league or you can have a team in the league, but you can't do both at the same time. We break those two pieces apart. That lets a lot more small businesses around this country compete and compete on a level playing field. But how do we promote the goals of the Green New Deal, uh, promoting uh, alternative energy sources, right. uh, reducing our carbon footprint and so forth, when President Warren is at war with the big utilities, with the big oil companies over antitrust issues that aren't necessarily moving the ball down the road? Whoa, wait a minute. Saying that they should have a little less political power in Washington, that's exactly how we move a Green New Deal forward. Come on, why do you think there hasn't been more movement on climate? The reason has been because of the lobbyists, because of the big polluters, because of the oil industry that make sure nothing happens in Washington. We don't have a gridlock problem. We have a problem of lobbying influence. The fact that there's been no action in Washington is helping those industries. So we've got a chance in 2020 to turn that around, attack the corruption head on. But here's the key part for me on climate. Look, I don't know about you, but I think about climate, it threatens every living thing. And every time the scientists go back and collect more data and run their models again, the problem is worse than we thought, and we have less time 
than we thought. We've got to be willing to go all in on climate. Let me tell you where I want to start. I'll say something very controversial. I believe in science. I think we ought to do what we do best. We ought to go tenfold on research and development and science. But here comes the best part. American taxpayer pays for that. Then anybody can build the clean that comes from this. Clean energy, ways to clean up the air and the water, desalinization. But you have to build it here in the United States. That'll be about 1.2 million new manufacturing jobs here in the U.S., good union jobs, jobs that help us strengthen our economy at the same time that we not only clean up the U.S., we can help lead the whole world in cleanup efforts, and that's what we need to do. i got to wrap this up, but okay. I do have one last question for sure. you. Why do you so rarely mention Massachusetts when you're out campaigning across the country? Oh, I talk about Massachusetts, where I'm from right now, and talk about things that we do back home. In fact, just yesterday, I was quoting Rachel Rollins, our uh, Suffolk DA, in talking about criminal justice reform and talking about the fact that she makes the point, better to be rich and guilty in our criminal justice system than poor and innocent. Um, I mean, are we, a, are we in some way a political liability? Because no. the reporting I read about your stump speech says you talk a lot about Oklahoma and uh -huh. your roots there and so forth, but very little about your experiences here. No, I talk about how I grew up because I think that's what people, they want to know who you are and what were the early formative experiences in your life. It matters that I have three older brothers that they all joined the military, that they're all retired now, they all live back in Oklahoma. I think it matters that when I was a kid, my daddy had a heart attack and it turned our lives upside down. I think it matters that all my life I wanted to be a public school teacher. And by the time I graduated from high school in Oklahoma, um, my family didn't have the money for a college application, much less to send me off to four years at university. It was that $50 a semester commuter college that opened a million doors for me. So it's a big part of the story of why I'm so deeply and personally committed to the idea of opportunity. I got opportunities. I got opportunities because American taxpayers invested in a world that opened some doors that I got to go through. I want to make sure that we create opportunities, not just for kids born into privilege, but opportunity for all our kids. That's why I'm in this fight. Well, you know, we media types, we're always trying to provoke conflict and controversy. So Patriots versus Titans, <laughs> it's already uh, uh, happened by the time this airs, but who do you like? Pats. <laughs> Thanks, Senator. It's good to see you. Appreciate it. The answer is more technology. More and better. More and better. better. So, John, uh, when he first announced that he was running for president, Liam and I had interviewed Bill Weld, the former yeah. governor of Massachusetts, uh, on television. You have a long history with him, of course, covering Massachusetts politics, and you had a chance to sit down with him, talk to him more in depth about What's he up to? Why well, is he running for president? You know, you got to hand it to Weld. As quixotic as this race appears to be, I mean, the numbers uh, in terms of Republican primary voter support for Donald Trump in New Hampshire and elsewhere are just off the charts. Mm -hmm. And Weld hasn't really been able to make a dent in them. Uh, but uh, I got to hand it to him. Here we are. 
little more than a month to go, and he's still plugging away. And in our conversation the other day, uh, I I asked the governor a, a little bit about, you know, what he hopes to achieve. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, As the kind of voice of the never-Trumper. Uh, yeah, and uh, he, his response, I think, was, was really pragmatic. Take a listen. Well, I guess this morning is a former governor of Massachusetts who once emerged from his office after the House had voted down a bill he supported. And he said, quote, you can lead the House to order, but you can't make it think, end quote. Let that percolate while I introduce our guest, now a candidate for the Republican nomination for president, former Governor Bill Weld. Governor, welcome. Keller, always a pleasure. I was there. I saw it. I heard it. I laughed. One of my best. Haven't laughed at anything on my beat (laughs) since, but I enjoyed it. It was a good one. So, Governor, will the impeachment of President Trump by the House hurt his re-election chances, help them, or be soon forgotten? No, I think it's going to hurt them as it sinks in. You know, you used the word percolate. Uh, It takes time for things to register, and sometimes it's the sober second thought of the community that really makes a decision based on something. And, you know, do I think the presidents can be reelected in 2020 under any circumstances? No, I don't. Why not? And why not? Because there are more good people in the United States, more thoughtful people than there are bad people. And I consider the president to be on the bad person's side of the ledger just because of his generally mean-spirited approach to life. How about his supporters? Are they bad people? No, they're not. They're not. Uh, I actually find it uh, very easy to see why he won in uh, 2016. He was refreshing. Uh, I can remember uh, jumping up during one of the Republican debates when there were still 12 or 15 people on the stage saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, Trump got that one right. That's three in a row. That's three in a row. And, you know, he, he knows what he thinks. So there was something refreshing there. But not anymore. Well, I think it's turned splenetic, uh, not so much uh, refreshing. And uh, uh, the, the mean-spiritedness just goes on and on and on. And I don't know whether it comes from a form of insecurity, a need to lash out, or whatever it is. But it, it has no place in the Oval Office. And that's what, that's what I'm thinking about when, when I say there are more good people than bad people in the United States. More well, nice people than not nice people. Well, I'm looking at the uh, New Hampshire polling. Uh, in the Republican primary, and the results range from Trump winning as much as 88 percent to as little as 71 percent of the Republican primary vote. That's a landslide either way. Uh, Imagine for a moment that I'm a pro-Trump New Hampshire likely voter in the primary. What can you say to me to change my mind? What's your elevator pitch? Well, I I would say that we got to stop having these trillion dollar deficits and we got to do something about climate change or all the snow is going to melt from the White Mountains. It's bad enough we lost the old man of the mountains in New Hampshire. But what about when the White Mountains aren't white anymore? And what about clean air and clean water and uh, just the stuff that's being not being addressed? Uh, one, one issue that is of some interest up there, believe it or not, is we're going to lose 20% of all of our jobs to artificial intelligence and technical developments in the United States. And there will be replacement jobs, uh, but they'll require more technical skills than the people have now. But you could make it uh, absolutely easy for them to get those skills free at a community college or online, just the displaced workers. And that would address a real emergency. The states could pay for that. It wouldn't even have to be the federal government. No one in Washington is even thinking about that. Those are Trump voters. What would a victory, quote-unquote, 
in New Hampshire look like for you? Well, 51% would be a victory. I'm mindful of the fact that Pat Buchanan getting 37% and Gene McCarthy getting 41% knocked out the incumbent. So, you know, I, I think uh, uh, exceeding expectations by a wide margin uh, is the, the beginning of uh, acceptable range. But uh, no, the New Hampshire primary, uh, I think, is winnable uh, by me. Uh, and that's never happened, that a sitting president running for re-election has lost the New Hampshire primary. But, uh, you know, the, the New Hampshire Republicans, uh, they're, they're not uh, unreasonable people. You know, when I say I'm a New England Republican, they know exactly what I mean. It means fiscally conservative and socially welcoming and open and cares about the environment, that sort of thing. Well, why are such huge percentages of them telling pollsters they back you know, Mr. I Trump? Think, I think those polls are asking people, did you vote in the last five Republican primaries? Do you approve of the Republican State Committee? That's the party organization in every state. The Trump organization is now the Republican State Committee. As you know, five of them have canceled their primaries to say it's got to be only only Trump. So they're, they're out there. And my task uh, and my mission here is to enlarge the electorate that's going to vote in the Republican uh, Party. Party. Not voter suppression, like some folks in Washington like to try, but enlarging the electorate, bringing more millennials, more Gen Xers, more women. Uh, millennials understand that uh, the first two issues I mentioned, no more trillion dollar deficits and uh, no ignoring climate change, those are both issues aimed right at their head. They're not going to see Social Security unless the deficit is fixed. Uh, and they're going to suffer when the atrocious weather patterns and uh, flooding of all the seacoast rearranges their lives. Lives. It won't be my generation, but it'll be their generation. And they understand that based on my conversations with uh, college audiences and on up. Governor, indulge me for one second here for our final minute, because uh, later on today we're taping our year in review uh, show. And one of the big issues of the past year has been the ongoing woes of the MBTA. In hindsight, looking back on your years as governor back in the 1990s, what could you have done to avert the current sorry state of affairs that we're suffering from? Maintenance. Uh, it's a question of deferred maintenance. That, that catches up with the T all the time. And it went on, I think, for decades. And uh, it, it, it didn't really come to my attention when I was in office, but I'm not sure anybody was blameless on that. Uh, just aiming 10 years forward. Could we have maybe siphoned off some of the big dig money uh, more productively into maintenance and investment in the infrastructure? Well, an awful lot of that money was paid for in federal dollars. I don't know about that one. Up to a certain point. Yeah. All right, Governor, okay. good luck. We'll be watching. Thank You're you, always welcome here. Always a pleasure. Creativity combined with innovations in technology. We talked about this a lot during 2019, and we're going to talk about it a lot during... 2020, and that is the impact of technology on our lives. From my point of view, the destructive, poisonous, toxic impact of technology in just about every walk of life. And this topic came up uh, just the other day when we saw that the Red Sox now are being investigated for possibly uh, cheating during the 2018 regular season by taking advantage of the TV, the video replay room that they have yes, set up yeah. uh, to try to steal signs along the lines of what the Houston Astros have been caught doing. The Yankees have been caught using uh, modern technology to cheat. And you look at sports, you look at politics, you look at the lives of kids and, and in, in education. Everywhere we, we turn, technology is 
uh, having a corrosive effect on personal ethics. It's inviting people to cheat and to undercut the system. Manners. Um, you name it. Yeah. You name it. It's just, I think it's a disaster. All right. Well, we had a lot of fun with this last year when they had the uh, famous Lavi bot at the Consumer Electronics <laughs> Show. This was the litter box where it, the cat would poop mm-hmm. and then it would send you a text message, Mommy. I, you I know, pooped. I needed to, yeah. to use the litter box. Here are, here's two of my favorites. What could possibly go wrong? The Alexa-equipped showerhead. Oh. The Kohler Moxie showerhead is the latest in a long line of bizarrely integrated Alexa devices, from bikes to smoke alarms and mirrors, making it easier to listen to your favorite tunes wherever you are. Showering has never been so oh, much fun. Oh, my God. The company well, this is, this is Straight from Seinfeld. Is it? Do you not remember the episode when Kramer doesn't ever want to leave the shower? <laughs> so he washes his vegetables in there. He eats in there. He puts a, a radio device in there. Now the other one is the emotional support robot, Baco Emo. Oh my god! From now, is it most a dog? Talk- is, it, is it is it shaped like a dog? Because I've seen this. It's shaped like a funny little snowman, and it says. What is it? Chicken. A chicken. It says, uh, you expect clear answers to your queries from most talking tech. From this one, you mostly get nonsense. It's entirely the point. Baco Emo is an emotional support robot. It listens to what you're saying and responds with an emotionally appropriate coo, chirp, or gurgle. Its mechanical head also bobs up and down with empathy. Its Tokyo-based maker, also known for a headless robot cat, with a mechanical wagging tail, thinks robots can play important roles in human emotional lives as we face isolation, especially in aging societies. I guess so. Buy grandma and grandpa a, a robot huh. to keep them company. Baco at- Emo can also do a few other practical tasks like turn on and off smart lights. We're looking at a picture of it here. Now, yes. you know, it kind of looks like an enema. <laughs> It looks like Olaf. It does. And frozen Doesn't a little it? Bit. It looks like yeah. a funny little I, I, snowman. You know, this is interesting because I think maybe one or two years ago, an emotional support robot dog came out. And we did a few stories about yeah. it on the news because these were for elderly people who couldn't take care of a dog. Right. Yeah. And so instead, their, their children or their friends were getting them robotic dogs yeah. that would bark okay. and sit on their laps yeah. and, you know, felt very much like a dog. But at some point... Doesn't this create a scenario where the children are buying the robot for the grandparent and then going, okay... Yeah, I don't have to deal with you anymore. No no issues anymore. This is what we're going to do to the elderly. And and, and let's face it, this is all paving the way for the era of the love doll. (laughs) Oh, Oh you know what I'm saying, right? Oh, boy. Say no more. Uh, We know what that means. that era already began. Um, really, Liam? Here's well, another one. I just, you know, this go, is a terrible you, you've idea. You've heard? Or? I've heard. Okay. So it's Say hello. Not firsthand. No. Okay, no. <laughs> Our next item, the <laughs> Meowing Moody Bellabot. A f- this is just the worst. A food delivery robot able to carry up to 10 kilograms of food to hungry hungry restaurant diners. Wait, what? Give it a stretch behind the ears upon receiving your order, and it will purr with pleasure. Do you have to tip it? I guess <laughs> I don't know. Wait, is this a way to get rid of? I guess it's a way to get rid of waiters and waitresses, people. which that's terrific. Uh, a robot, oh, fewer jobs, just what Americans are demanding. <laughs> I, know. I know. This is why people are latching on to an ideal like the universal basic income and Andrew Yang's campaign. Because 
all of a sudden now we're going to have a robot delivering our food to us at our table instead of a human being? I mean, all kidding aside for a second, these dorks that are designing and creating this stuff, they're sick. Well, no, no one's asking for this. They're all hoping to make the next buck. Bill Gates says all these robots that are coming should all be taxed, by the way. That's his solution yeah, for no, the lost revenue we're going to have when human sense. beings don't perform these jobs anymore. Here, just one more example because I know you love music so much. The wearable subwoofer. Hmm. Someone at Bassme took the idea of feeling the bass a little too literally. This is a gadget you can strap to your sternum as it delivers low-frequency sound, essentially using your own rib cage as a subwoofer. Turning yourself into a speaker may not be as bad as Have you ever sat in a car with someone who has the subwoofer way too high? And you can in the feel 90s, it. this was a big thing that every car it, your high school buddy had would be had this you know massive subwoofer and it's, it's a nightmare. Terrible. Yeah, it's it like being ingested by a whale and then thrown up. Sorry, there has been situations. <laughs> oh yes, okay. Paula okay. must go do a live update right now okay. on CBSN Boston. Plug for that. So she's big time in us. All kidding aside, all over the world now, there are movements away from sort of modern technology and and modern notions of convenience, the the slow food movement Mm -hmm. that says, no, you don't want fast food. You want slow food that you cook yourself or that other human beings cook from fresh uh, materials that are grown locally. You know the whole thing. And uh, that's being duplicated in other areas as well. Uh, at, at some point, either this headlong rush into easier, faster, more processed everything, uh, either it stops or it drags us all over the cliff with it. Probably the latter. <laughs> right. So now I'm, I see you've come around to my way of thinking. Good no, man. No, I, I actually agree with you on a lot of these things. I mean, the, the, this yeah. list that we've just gone through is an example of that. Paul okay. is back. I just don't know... I... There's a really fascinating book by a, a entrepreneur in China, Kai Fu Li, and it, it is terrifying. He really spells out that he thinks that societies are going to have an existential crisis, that these robots are, in fact, going to take over. I think we kind of already are. But, it, but that it's going to get to a point where yeah. people will literally lose their sense of purpose. He, he gives examples that I hadn't even thought about. In the book, um, which I'm so sorry, I'm desperately trying to uh, well, think about out just right the toxicity now. of but, social media. Well, the social just, media, just social but then well. he also brings up examples that I hadn't even thought about, which uh, were oh, here it is: AI superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. You really should read it because he, he lays out why China is so far ahead of us in terms of this technology when it comes to AI, but. He said, imagine a future in which uh, a set of a dozen or so drones acting in concert with each other will show up and paint your house in an afternoon. You know, jobs like that, that people have always yeah. relied on. Well, I can always go be a house painter. I can always go drive a car. Oh, yeah. I can always simply will go away for a huge, huge percent of the population. It's really terrifying when well, you read it. I mean, look at how drone technology is transforming yeah. warfare. Sure. Mm. Yeah. 
If you can just lob those drones, then the whole, Mm -hmm. any kind of moral calculus, uh, or the risk to the lives of our service people and people on the ground, it's just out Mm. the window. You're completely removed. There's Barack Obama saying. And he really says it's unstoppable. Of course. Um, But he also says the reason China is leaping over us so dramatically in so much of this technology is they missed the mid-20th century infrastructure. We have to unlearn the credit card uh, machines, things like that. They never had had it all. They went right from the abacus to the smartphone. They went from cash, exactly, right to paying with their smartphones. So they don't have that learning curve that we are kind of agonizing through right now. Is that a word? Let's get to one more here from uh, CES and just sort of the weird technology of this year. The temporary tattoo printer. This is called the Prinker. Temporary tattoo technology hasn't changed much in recent years. You can buy them, order custom designs online, or print your own on special paper at home. But a new device called the Prinker makes temporary tattoos mobile for spontaneous people who don't want to commit to Forever Ink. The handheld printer can apply cosmetic-grade ink to the skin in black or color just by quickly passing it once over the chosen body art. Images are selected from a companion app where you can add your own. It can only only print graphics up to an inch wide, so a full tattoo sleeve would take a while. But the only limit on the length of a tattoo is the length of your body. While the final product doesn't smudge or fade much, it does wash off easily with soap and water. But how long does it last, does it say? I'm all for that because I can you imagine what I can never wrap my mind around is a young person. I am so risk averse. Yeah. A young person committing to a huge tattoo, like the Mm. one Scarlett Johansson has on her back, for instance. Does she have a big tattoo on her back? It's going to, I'm pretty sure. And I think I saw it at the Golden Globe. Ben Affleck as well. But right. And that. You think you're really going to still like that when you're 90 or 75? Really? Okay, Gen Xer. But you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't want to. Uh, don't look make at me. I'm commitment. the baby so, boomer here. I don't well, get John, it. As a mother no, of people at home uh, can't young tell. adult children, I'm all for this. People at home can't tell. John has several face tats. <laughs> You know, uh, like Mike few, Tyson. He has a few teardrops coming Ooh, down. The mustache is really realistic. <laughs> yeah, those it? are symbolic. He has a tattooed mustache. Yeah. All right. So this was a good first podcast yeah, of the wow. new Elizabeth year. Warren, Bill Wells. We begin a new decade. Can you believe the first two decades of the century are already done? That blows my mind. I can oh believe my it. my goodness. <laughs> John, yeah. yes, I can. And by the way, we were saying, so the last 20s were the roaring 20s. Right. Yeah. And I think these are going to be based on everything I see. Based on, on social the first media, four days, the raging twenties. Not like bad. Uh, I would vote for the vomiting twenties, <laughs> and I mean it. There was a great article in the Wall Street Journal about the proliferation of vomiting in uh, current motion pictures. Knives Out. Have you seen that huh, one? The uh, so the Agatha Christie style whodunit mm-hmm. features a, a woman who who can't tell a lie without vomiting. Oh, so she vomits uh, And a apparently lot. he goes down the whole litany of recent movies that uh, apparently it's become obligatory well, in Hollywood to have a. And I think vomiting is a good allegory for our yeah. culture <laughs> as it stands today. I would say with the advent of Twitter, the ranting 20s. The ranting, yeah. That's sort of where I'm going with raging 20s. Same idea. Yeah, the ranting 20s, absolutely. All right. And so we want you to tell all your friends, subscribe and share. The Twitter handle is at StudioBZPod. I'm at Paula Eben. I'm at Keller at Large. I'm at Liam WBZ. If you could just send me a tweet saying that I pop. 
for you. <laughs> Make um, him feel better. Throw him a bone. You mean like a zit? <laughs> you. Uh, what a horrible. Oh, that's that's an image. John went from popping zits and vomiting the last few minutes. Here. I know, really. That's what I'm here for. Yikes. Podcast of record in Boston. All right, for the first time this year, we'll, we'll be seeing you. <laughs> Do we need a way, new? See Parasite. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Oh, yeah. That Korean director, have you seen it already?